Good morning. It's a real delight to be here at uh, Parkway Church and to share with you. I understand that my son preached last week and you showed up today anyway. <laughs> so grateful that you came, proud of what he's doing. And thanks for welcoming us uh, into the area, William Jessup University. We moved over here about 2004. Couldn't uh, get things going. We even got one of our graduates that's playing the piano here. Good to see you again. <laughs> And uh, you've supported us in prayer and welcomed us to the community. It's just a thrill to be a part of uh, this uh, community. I've had the privilege of working with the university most of my life because my dad started it when I was four years old in our home there in San Jose, across the street from San Jose State. So I've had uh, quite a uh, relationship with the school through the years. Been in pastoral ministry and youth ministry for about 30 years and served at the college for about 30 years last 26 as its president and passed the baton about four years ago to Dr. John Jackson. And it's just been a thrill to see how God has blessed and brought people like yourselves around us, over 100 churches that stand with us and, and uh, support us in different ways, and we are so, so very grateful for that. Well, you have got a really wonderful theme for these three messages, and um, the one that I have chosen comes actually out of Hebrews. It talks about following in his footsteps, but it changes the metaphor a little bit and talks about running the race that is before us and how to endure in that challenge that we all face in our lives. And uh, the section that I have selected is Hebrews, the 12th chapter, starting with verse 1 and going through verse 3. Our writer put it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He gives to us some powerful statements here that we want to unpack this morning about how to run the race with endurance. Because it's important that we start the race, but the crown is not reserved for those who start, but for those who finish, who keep putting one foot in front of the other and arrive at the destination that God has marked out for us. And so he gives us a number of keys in these verses of Scripture as to how to run with endurance. And the fact that I see some gray hair here and some no hair tells me that you folks have got a lot of endurance already in your corner. And the longer we run this race, the more we are aware that we need all the help that we can get, encouragement from one another, from God's word, from his presence, so that we can empower, be empowered to run this race in a way that will glorify him. Well, he gives to us a number of uh, keys on how to run this marathon, because it's not a sprint. It's a long race, and it's a race worth being engaged in, and it's a race worth running all the days that we have breath to do so. And the first thing that he talks about is the clouds. 
And it's the clouds he talks about that produces endurance. He says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Not just a cloud of witnesses, but a great cloud of witnesses. And what he's referring to is actually the Olympics of his time, where they would run the race in a straight line, not an oval like we have many of our races today. But there would be people gathered there in the grandstands from all the nations represented in the race. And the national anthems would be played, the flags would be waving, tears would be brushed away. And they were there to encourage the runners from their communities, from their nations, in the race that they might run well and that they might win the race. And so our writer says, these runners are not alone, but they are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are saying, you can make it, you can do it, keep running, we're in your corner, we're here to support you, we're here to encourage you, we're clapping for you, we're pulling for you. And that's the observation that our, our writer had of the races of that time and it's a metaphor of our running the race to the glory of God, the Christian race. So we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And these witnesses in context is a historic cloud. They're listed in the chapter just prior to chapter 12. It talks about Abraham and his faith. It talks about Noah, how he was ridiculed, yet he continued to run. It talks about Moses. He was misunderstood, but he didn't give up, and he continued to run. And the powerful thing about this, if you notice in verse 39, he says of chapter 11, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. And what he's saying to us is these guys all ran on the promise that there someday would come a Savior to deliver them into the very presence of the Father. And what he's saying here is that, folks, we don't have a promise that someday we're going to have a Savior. We have his presence. He is with us. He came. He is our partner. He empowers us to make it to the finish line. And so these bear witness, not only the historic cloud, but the contemporary cloud. People in this room who have encouraged you. And you can look around and see individuals who touched you at low points in your life to encourage you. And we all need encouragement because the race is not an easy one. He didn't say it'd be easy. He just said he would be with us and that he would get us to the promised land. And so there is not only historic cloud, but there is the contemporary cloud. And I don't know who is in your cloud of witnesses, but we all have them. People who have impacted our life, who continue to impact our life, who just watching how they are running have given us encouragement by modeling to us that we too can make it to the finish line. And they're standing there saying, look, if I make it to the finish line, you can make it to the finish line. You can do it. Hang in there. So we need both the historic cloud, those that have gone before us, and we need the contemporary cloud, those that are with us today who encourage us in our running. I don't know who's in your cloud of witnesses. Let me mention a couple that are in mine. A number of years ago in San Jose, about 30,000 Cambodians came into the San Francisco Bay Area. 
the result of the Khmu Rouge and all that was happening in persecution in Cambodia. And uh, there was one young man by the name of uh, Moses Samuel Seth who had come to the Lord. His family had been, many of them, destroyed. He came to the Lord and actually ended up being the pastor of the Kabadang um, refugee camp on the Thai-Cambodian border. And he actually had thousands of Cambodians that he had led to the Lord. Many of them were now in our community. And they came to us and said, can you help? Well, we for formed an organization called Agape International Missions. And what we did was we helped them in resettlement. And then we said, we need to do more than that. We need to help you to evangelize your people. And so we developed a multicultural Bible institute on campus focused mainly on Cambodians because the field was so ripe unto harvest. Moses developed some others who helped teach. We graduated about 70 out of the Cambodian community. He went forth in the San Joaquin Valley and, and they planted Cambodian churches. They have gone back now to Cambodia, many of them, and Moses has led them. It's safe for him to be there now. It wasn't until the year 2000 because he was a, a leader, a governor of one of the provinces in Cambodia and was a wanted man. And so they've planted now over 1,000 churches in Cambodia. Absolutely incredible. As a part of that, a couple of our graduates went over there in 2003 and said, we've got to do something about the sex trafficking because there are some 40 to 50,000 little girls here in Cambodia who are being sold by their parents to make money so that the parents can survive. And we've got to do something about it. Some of them as young as seven or eight years of age. So Don and Bridget Brewster, I just with them yesterday because we had our AIM board meeting and I'm a part of that board. And they have delivered literally hundreds of little girls out of uh, sex trafficking, have given them hope in Christ, have given them education, have given them vocational training, and they are making a difference in that community. In fact, we have now six of them living here in the Roseville area. Two of them are now students at William Jessup University. <laughs> Every time I see them, it kind of uh, breaks me up to realize how God does what he does. Here's a picture of them right here. I spoke before them about three or four years ago. These little girls have all been rescued out of the brothels. About 50 of them in that, in that room. And I was trying to say something, and they were all going like this, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, in broken English, but serving the same Lord that we serve. Folks, i got to tell you, these people are a part of my cloud of witnesses. If they can make it to the finish line, if Moses can make it to the finish line, if Don Brewster and Bridget can make it to the finish line, I haven't hardly started to run because of the modeling that they have for me of how to run this race with endurance. They saw a need. They were called of God to meet it, and they're going forth and making a difference. Well, there's another slide. This next slide is a picture of a couple. Some of you might even know Katie because she's from Granite Bay. <laughs> she married uh, Abigail. Did you happen to know Abhijit? Yeah. yeah. Abhijit was um, a wonderful guy. And uh, his parents have a mission in India. And uh, was over there about four years ago and spoke for their youth conference. They had about 3,000 teenagers at it. Abhijit and Katie are now there. And she's in an orphanage area working with about 100 little orphan kids. And these two, after they got married and went over there, started to work there were listed in a Christian Standard magazine here in America as one of the 40 leaders under the age of 40 in the evangelical community today. Incredible. And what I'm saying to you is 
they're a witness to my life that these young kids can do what they're doing. Keep running, Jessup. And the flip side of that is that not only is the cloud of witnesses that which we draw encouragement from, but you're a part of the cloud of witnesses that give encouragement to others. I was with Abhijit and Katie this summer, and we had uh, um, lunch together at the garlic factory or something like that down in Roseville because they were here to visit her parents who live in Granite Bay before they go back, took a little vacation. And as I sat there and ate with them, I became aware of the joy it was for me to spend an hour a week with Abhijit during his senior year because he asked me, would I spend some time with him just to mentor him through some issues? I know that I'm in his cloud of witnesses. And so though you have others that you look to who are an encouragement to you because they are a part of that great cloud of witnesses, you are a part of the great cloud of witnesses to somebody else. Make sure you turn on that light. You see, even the most conservative statements about every human being, even those most introverted, is that every human being, if they live a normal lifetime, will impact 10,000 people in their lifetime. Think about that, 10,000 people. You're a part of the cloud of witnesses to impact the lives of others as you are impacted by their lives. They're standing there encouraging you. You pass that on and you encourage others. That's the cloud of witnesses that helps us to run this race with energy. Don't live in isolation. You need others. God put them there as brothers and sisters to partner together to run this race until we get to the finish line. Well, it's not only the matter of a cloud that produce inspiration, but you have the conditioning. And that, of course, requires discipline. I like the way our writer said it. He said, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. What they used to do was they would put on a robe to keep them warm before the race. They had to take that off because it would get entangled around their ankles if they tried to run. So they set it aside so they wouldn't get tripped up so they could run the race well. They would train by putting weights on their feet to help develop their muscles so that when they hit the race, they had freedom to run with great power and energy and win the race. And what Paul says when you begin, or, or the writer says, when you begin to run this race, lay aside whatever hinders you and run that race with perseverance or endurance. It isn't that you don't know how to sin. He simply says, lay aside the sin. Put it aside. Take off the robe that would hinder you. It'll trip you up. Because what happens is if we try to run with the cooperation of sin in our life, it saps your energy to run the race well. God knew what he was doing when he gave to us Jesus to say, hey, this is the way I want you to run the race. Take off all the sin. Doesn't mean we aren't flawed people. It doesn't mean that we're perfect people either. It simply means that we are to be people in the process of getting rid of anything that hinders us from running that race well. I like the way that Sandberg one time put it. He's put it this way. He said, there are within us two animals. There is a hippopotamus and there is an eagle. And he says, the eagle loves to soar and the hippopotamus loves to wallow in the mud. Then he raises the question, how do you cause one to grow and how do you get rid of the other one? 
And the answer was simple. The one that you starve dies. The one that you feed thrives. And so you feed the eagle. You starve the hippopotamus that likes to wallow in the mud because that'll destroy you. Starve him. Get rid of those things. Set him aside. Take it off and run the race in the freedom and see things from the perspective of an eagle because God wants you to soar and he wants me to soar to the glory of God. And so you run that race with perseverance, aware that there is a saint and a sinner within all of us. None of us have been perfected, but we seek the presence of the God, God that we serve who's redeemed us on a daily basis. We seek the authority of his word to guide us if you haven't noticed, there's a whole lot of side trips that our world is taking these days. We've gone through so much drift in our world and in our country and all of the issues that we're all acquainted with that we're facing. And we've got to make sure we keep ourselves rooted in the authority of Scripture because we may be smart people, but we're not smarter than God. And he's established for us how to run this race. And technology has a place in our world, but it will never replace the directives that God has given to us to make life filled with love, joy, peace, and all the other qualities that were a part of the life of Jesus himself. And so you run with perseverance, which means you have to be in shape. You have to exercise training for the race that you're going to run. Because it's just this simple. Running the race is not so much a matter of trying, it's a matter of training. If I were to say to you, we're going to run a marathon today, there might be some of you in this room who could run a marathon. Anybody that is in shape to run a marathon in the room? Okay, I see somebody pointing to one person in this room. That's not a very high percentage. Okay, there's, there's a couple who think they can run it. Yeah, And so they're in shape. That's the only way they can do it. I could say, I'll run the marathon, and I could try all I want to. I wouldn't get to that flagpole out there because I cannot run well. I am not in shape for a marathon, though I can climb half dome and uh, do a, a few of those things. And speaking of that, my dad, on his uh, 70th birthday, made a decision that uh, he wanted to uh, climb Half Dome. Kind of a crazy thing that uh, he had as a goal of his life, but uh, he decided he would do that. And uh, so he climbed Half Dome on his 70th, my brother did it, then on his 70th birthday, and that's uh, the next slide, and then I did it on my 70th birthday, and then just last month, I decided I was going to do it on my 80th birthday. And here's my standing on my head on my 80th birthday on top of Half Dome. <laughs> well, we decided to go up there, my son and grandson and some of the other grandkids and stuff. And so we took off and we started up Half Dome. And there we are looking at it. It was a cloudy day. It was uh, not going to be a uh, day where the sun was going to shine. We kept going and we got there the next morning. And uh, we got up to the sub-dome and the clouds were all around us. And then we climbed up to half-dome and that's our, our party over there to the right. And the clouds were all over the place. It had rained at two o'clock in the morning on my tent. I thought, ah, we're, it's all done. Somehow God parted the clouds like the Red Sea and we were able to go up the uh, uh, cables and get up to the top of half-dome. And the next picture shows that I'm right there, uh, just uh, almost to the top. And uh, then it was time for me to try to stand on my head. And I needed some help to do that. <laughs> so there's my son that preached for you last week and his son. 
and they just keep working at it to get me standing upright, and they kept working at it and kept uh, helping me out. <laughs> Finally, Jim got me up right there, and he stepped back, and there you can see he was like a defensive basketball player because he was about ready to fall at any time. But we made it to the top, and we stood on our head, and uh, about five minutes, ten minutes afterwards, it started raining. We got down off the dome in a hurry. But here's what happened now. It's kind of a crazy, uh, you know, ambition that I had that I wanted to, uh, to do this, but we went ahead and... and um, Stood on our heads. The next picture shows uh, the half dome stands again. My dad is 70th. My brother 70th. My brother, myself at 70th, and me on my 80th. No brag for my dad when I get to heaven, but someday I'm going to say to him when I get to heaven, Dad, I got to tell you what I did on my 80th, and he's going to say, Son, you don't brag up here. Stop it. They'll kick you out. <laughs> and uh, but I just had, kind of had an ambition. I wanted to do that. I couldn't have done that had it not been for the fact that, that was a goal that I had set forth. And I had to stay in shape to do it. So I've been working out three days a week, walk three days a week with my wife then also. So about six days a week uh, for many years. Uh, we've been doing exercises so that at the age of 80 I could do it. It wasn't a matter of trying. It was a matter of training. I couldn't do it if I just willed to do it. You have to stay in shape to be able to do it. That's exactly what our writer is saying here about the Christian life. There's a lot of people who want to live the Christian life, but they don't go into the training process. You see, there's so much distortion within our spirit because we live in a sinful world and because of the choices that we've made, the attitudes that we've held, the habits that we have gained. We've got to change and go into God's training program. And his training program is that every day we say, Lord, this is the day you have made us. This is the day you have made for me. How do you want me to live my day today? God, you direct my life. I'll make choices as to the things I think I need to get done, but help me to recognize the difference between a, a divine interruption and, and just a, um, an interruption. You know, help me to be sensitive to your presence. I want your love to be expressed in and through me. I want it to go out and make a difference in the world. I want your word to be my guide. Lord, give me some verse of scripture today that will feed my soul. Lord, help me to worship you as we are today through music, through whatever way draws your heart close to the Father. Lord, help me to know how to touch others with your love today. That's being in training. And if you do that over the long period of time, you will experience endurance in your spiritual journey. And if your Christian life is weak, it's Trying is an important part of it, but training is, is essential. Just to want to try and then sit back, man, I wish I could do it, and then to watch television 24-7 isn't going to get it done. If you want to run the race with endurance, then you say, oh, Lord, help me to discipline myself in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. Teach me how to run this race. Train my brain and my heart. Help me to love you more deeply. And on the story goes. And so we run the race with endurance by entering the training program that God has for us. And it's the race that's marked out for us, he says. And it's the race marked out for us because he has marked it out in ways that will get us to the finish line. He allows us to make choices as we run that race, but he said, if you run it well, through my presence, I'll get you to the finish line. And sometimes we get on detours, and it seems like, God, what are you doing? How come you led me this? And you look back over your shoulder, and you see it's a detour got you to where he wanted you to be. Children of Israel many times went through detours, but he ultimately got them to the promised land. Our university... 
In San Jose, we would have died for about 15 years. We looked for a place to relocate because we were down next to San Jose State with only six or seven acres of land, could not grow beyond 300 students. We were going to die if we stayed there. We tried to buy property in Saratoga and in Los Gatos and in San Jose. None of the cities would zone us for uh, larger pieces of property because of the tax issues that are involved with nonprofits. You don't pay property tax. We decided then, okay, we'll go to Morgan Hill because there's a hospital for sale down there. So we bought the hospital in Morgan Hill from Catholic Health Care West. City Council was fine about it. <laughs> but when it got to the time of vote, all the older people from the community said, no, we want our hospital back. Even though there was another one only nine miles away and too much hospital for the area, so Catholic Health Care West was losing a couple million dollars a year on, on the hospital. So we took it to federal court, took it to San Francisco. And they said, uh, no, we won't uh, zone it for you either. Could have taken it to the Supreme Court, but it had been about a five-year journey, would have gone bankrupt. So we pulled out of that, lost a couple million dollars in the deal. But then God uh, opened the door for where we are today, and in 14 minutes, Placer County gave us zoning to be in that property. <laughs> I cannot explain to you how that happened other than God's direction, and it was an accident to have found that property because we weren't looking at it. We just happened to drive by it. And I saw the sign, and I said to our broker, what about this, Norm? And he said, I don't know. I said, isn't that what you do for a living? Go find out. <laughs> Groupie Homes owned it, but they didn't want to pay what it was going to cost to tear down the foundations and everything. They pulled out, and in 14 minutes, Placer County gave us approval to move in, and it's flourishing. I cannot praise God. and thank, I, I'm still working about 30 hours a week over at the school, doing development work and so forth. And, and uh, I just walk around the campus frequently and say, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You see, if you really have given your heart to God, he's got a race marked out for you. Be sensitive to it. You're not always going to know what turns to take, but pray, God, give me wisdom. Then go ahead and take the step. Consult others who are a part of your cloud of witnesses to get some wisdom, but he will keep directing your pathway, and he eventually gets you to where you want to be. And now I go to Morgan Hill and drive by and look at that hospital, and I say, na 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 <laughs> It's still empty. But if you want a tour, I got a key. <laughs> they don't know it yet, but I still, and I went in there a year or so ago when I was driving down 101, and it... And I just walked around a little bit until I saw a few guards and thought I'd better get out. But I just said, thank you, Lord. You took us to the right place. There is a race marked out for you. He allows you freedom to make choices as you run that race, but he will ultimately get you to the crown of glory that is awaiting all those who will run with endurance. Well, the third thing that he says here, not only a matter of uh, conditioning, that uh, requires discipline, but it's the Christ that gives us confidence. I love the way he put it here. He says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That means rivet your eyes upon Christ because he is the author of where we're headed, of our faith, of our life. Author in the sense that Adam blew it, and so have we. And Christ came as God saying to us, Adam didn't do it right, folks. Here's the way it's supposed to be done. And he lived a perfect life to demonstrate to us how life can be lived at its best 
and how it will take you to where you ultimately want to go. And so you rivet your eyes upon him as the model. With all the different changes of laws that we have in our country and communities and so forth, be sure that you filter that through the revelation of God in Scripture because His truth is absolute. And His truth will bring you to the finished line and fill you with all that He wants you to possess in the process so that you can glorify Him in time and in eternity. So He is the author of our faith. But I love the word perfecter. He is the author and perfect. It's not a matter of just him saying to us, God saying to us, look, look to Jesus and good luck in running the race. He is the perfecter. In other words, he's not standing at the finish line saying, uh, come on guys, run that race better. Come on guys, lift your leg higher, push it down with more force. Come on, hang in there, you can do it. He's not screaming at us from a distance. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is present in our life to energize us, to help us with the choices that are made, to be our friend, to be our partner, to be our companion, to be our encourager, to be our savior, to be our enabler, to be able to run the race that he modeled in the race that he ran. He does it perfectly. We continue to look to Christ. We fix our eyes upon him because he is our model on how this race can be run and should be run. Well, I like a story that I one time heard about Paderewski. Paderewski was a pianist of the last century, and he had a huge concert that had four or 5,000 people in attendance. And before the concert, there was a little boy about 12 years old that got up out of the audience and came up and started playing chopsticks on the piano. And Paderewski heard uh, the audience uh, saying, whose little boy is that? Get him out of here. We came to hear Paderewski. And Paderewski was looking out from behind the curtain. And he put on his coat and went out there. And he knelt down behind the little boy. And he says, keep on playing, whispered in his ear, took out his hands. And he went on either side of that uh, little boy playing chopsticks and filled it in with magnificent harmony. And the audience quieted down. And after they finished, they stood to their feet clapping. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that little boy. God, all I have is these two little fingers. What in the world can I do when the world's got almost 8 million people in it today? When I was in high school, just two, two I mean, uh, two, uh, eight billion people. When I was in high school, it was about two billion. Now it's about eight billion. God, it's so overwhelming. Oh, I got these two little fingers. And when I do that, I hear God whispering in my ear, keep on playing. Just keep on doing what you can do. And he puts his arms down on either side of mine and begins to pray, play that piano in a way that makes me marvel. And a symphony of praise ascends unto the Father. You see, he is the perfecter. He is the enabler. Even in speaking to you this morning, I mentioned in our prayer time earlier that the thing that keeps me going in preaching is that when you communicate God's word and his truth, what you hear is more than what the speaker says because Christ is in it. 
And when Christ is in it and in you, then he takes those words and makes applications in ways that he wants you to respond. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can do all things through Christ. It, it's amazing to me when you look back over your shoulder how God connects those dots through the presence of Christ to get you where he wants you to be. How he encourages you about the time you're ready to give up. He brings something into your life that helps you be aware that he's still on the throne in charge and he'll get you there. I remember over in San Jose when I, was, I about turned in my resignation a number of times through the 25 years because I felt like the school was going to go bankrupt, belly up, we didn't have a future, it's time for me to get out of there and it would be a waste of talent to stay around and just watch it continue to die. I'll never forget one board meeting, the guys on Thursday from our property committee were talking about areas of our facilities need to be fixed up and I couldn't even pay faculty salary, yet they were talking about all this stuff. And um, the next morning, before board meeting, at about 7 o'clock, one of our students' sister had just gotten her driver's license, and she was driving a Volkswagen. She came down behind our property. The accelerator got stuck on her little Volkswagen. She came across, leaped over some walls, little walls that were there, and landed in our gymnasium, went right through the side wall into our gymnasium. Well, we ran over and, and helped her out. She had a big knot on her head, and she was finally okay. Shortly after that was chapel, so we invited her to come into chapel, and we prayed for her, and then we thanked her for her insurance policy, because her insurance policy fixed up the nicest portion of our campus that we had when we were there. The men's shower, the tiles were all falling off of it and everything, and she hit right into the men's shower. We didn't need her to hit about 40 feet down the way. That part of the gym was fine. We needed the men's shower to be repaired. And God took care of that. And it was kind of a way of God just saying, hey, I'm with you guys. Hang in there. You know, I'll see that you get where you're supposed to be. And God's done that in your life, too, as you look back. Times when he has brought things together and you say, my goodness, isn't this amazing how that all came together? And it's because, you know, we make our plans, but God orders our footsteps. Ultimately, if we're given to him, he will get us there to the promised land. Well, there's one last thing. That is the crown that offers hope. And Jesus endured the cross, these verses say, because of the joy that was set before him. It was the joy of being aware that what he did in being obedient to the Father was that he connected the holiness of God with the sinfulness of man and that Calvary's cross would then be a meeting place for all time for people who wanted to become a part of the family of God. That forgiveness was extended through his shed blood. And so it was the joy of obedience, allowing him then to be resurrected and to then sit down at the right hand of the Father. You see, there is a crown to be given. There is a prize to be rewarded. There is a gold medal to be received when we run that race the way God wants us to run that race. It was for the joy that was set before him. I love that because I remember growing up as a boy, my mother used to get up in the morning and she would say, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. <clears throat> About 15 minutes later, she'd say, This is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. 
About 15 minutes later, she'd say, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I realized that uh, she rejoiced by choice. It was a decision that she made. I mean, things were tough to launch a college when my dad was a pastor of a church that didn't exist. I mean, he gave birth to a little church so we could find people who were not believers, bring them to the Lord, and transfer a passion to them about training young men for ministry. And uh, I remember we had Claps baby food many times for dinner because there was one student who could bring home dented cans from where he worked at Claps baby food. And dad would let them, uh, the teachers, go through the box and take out what they needed. And the last ones that were always left was fig pudding. And I remember eating a lot of fig pudding. And I remember saying to my dad, Dad, this stuff is horrible. And Dad would say, son, think of all of the poor starving kids in India. And I would say, Dad, box it all up and ship it to them. <laughs> we were poor, but we were rich in the things that counted. Love, joy, peace. Stuff that money can't buy. And that stuff is eternal wealth. And Jesus knew that the kind of joy that he was going to experience was going to be for all eternity. And it's that joy that keeps us going. Because you see, your joy is not rooted in circumstances. It's rooted in the Savior. Emotionally, you may have pain. Emotionally, it may be difficult. You may stumble and fall. But if your focus is on Jesus, you've got joy as long as you've got him, which is forever. Joy is not simply emotion. It's relationship. It's the joy of life, love, and joy, and peace. It's the joy of certainty of future and knowing that I could be wiped out in a moment on planet Earth. But that only increases my joy as I'm ushered into the very presence of the Lord. Jim told me that he shared the story of how my dad, his grandpa, preached a sermon and then passed away. Those of you who were here last week remember that story. I was to speak next. I never got a chance to speak because Dad went on to glory. He heard Jim speak and thought, well, I guess things are in good hands. I'll go on. And he heart stopped and that was it. As Jim was giving compressions and mouth-to-mouth resuscitations on my dad, Jim had had training in this. I'll never forget, there were about two or 300 people there. I stood back and I watched, and I'm certainly not a physician, don't know a lot about physiology. What I do know is what I saw. After the first compression and Jim pulled off, there was a smile on my dad's face. I cannot help believe, but believe, that dad saw stuff that human eyes have never seen. That he received his crown. That he broke the tape at the finish line and said, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my salvation. Whew, folks, I want to go like that someday. Not today. <laughs> but there is, at the end of this race, a crown to be given. And the challenge for us is to run with endurance. The race is worth it, folks. And when you see that crown, you will praise him forever. It takes endurance. The cloud produces inspiration. The conditioning requires discipline. The cross gives confidence, but the crown offers hope. Why would you want to run in any other race? 
Satan promises you everything and gives you nothing. God promises you everything and gives you more. Run that race with endurance. East Parkway, God bless you as you continue to run. You're a part of my cloud of witnesses. Just visiting with some of you, seeing your joy, seeing your desire to become all that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the race that we run, we do not run in isolation. We do not run alone. We do not run on our own power. But that you empower us. You change our perspective. You change our habits. You change our energy. You change our destination. And Lord, we want to run this race with endurance. Father, thank you for these people who are running faithfully the race that you want them to run. May they continue to be a cloud of witnesses to this community, to their families, and beyond. And we'll give you all glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.